Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Polly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. This is a continuation of last week's episode that Wes McAdams did with Stephen Cuffell on the topic of justice. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm joined again by my friend Stephen Cuffell. Welcome, brother. It is a blessing to be here. Thank you for joining me again. If anybody is watching or listening now that that didn't listen to the previous episode on justice, I would encourage you to stop the recording right now and go back and and listen to that first episode, because I think that that introduction of what biblical justice looks like, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and understanding justice and righteousness, I think that's going to be really helpful and maybe even necessary uh, to, to listening to this conversation, which will be more of a critique of some of the secular or modern theories about justice. Um, and if you don't have that that foundation that we talked about in episode one, it's going to be a little bit difficult to follow maybe the conversation we're going to have now. But again, welcome to everybody. And uh, this is an incredibly important conversation. And um, anytime that Christian people are navigating and interacting with um, our neighbors um, in any context, in any in any country in the world, at any time in the world, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be different because we do approach things differently. We have, I like the word worldview, we have a different worldview. We have a different way of thinking about ourselves, about others, about the, the purpose and the reason for the world, the story of the world. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's the, what's the narrative here? And so if we embrace a different story, then it's going to cause us to embrace a different identity and a different way of functioning in the world. So as we interact with our neighbors, it's going to be difficult, but we have to try to find both common ground and also ways to sort of push back against things that may be headed in the wrong direction. Because I think as as people that are concerned, we, we should be, and as we talked about in the last episode, we're concerned about um, our neighbors. We're concerned about justice. We're concerned when people are um, taking advantage of others or when people are being taken advantage of. Um, and one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to walk through an article by Tim Keller, um, who is uh, an author I tend to think very highly of. Uh, and this, uh, this article is entitled, A Biblical Critique of Secular Justice and Critical Theory. Um, and he what he does is he lays everything on a spectrum. And I, I think that and this is something we've talked about on this podcast several different times, is collectivism versus individualism and sort of this spectrum between collective thought and individualistic thought um, and how how that influences the way that we interact with different things. And he sort of puts these different theories on a spectrum and he begins on one end of the spectrum with individualistic thinking, individualistic theories of justice. And the first one is libertarian or freedom. And he, he summarizes it by saying a just society promotes individual freedom. So the key part of libertarian um, justice theory is the idea that a just society promotes individual freedom, which pretty much just means these are your natural rights and you can pretty much do whatever you want to as long as your your rights aren't infringing on someone else's. Yeah, that's, that's one that I tend personally to identify with the most. Um, you know, we have a we have a culture that is founded upon freedom, 
these inalienable rights, uh, the idea that everybody can come own their, their little chunk of America and that's yours and you own it and nobody can take that away from you. Uh, if, if I were to abandon my faith and just become completely secular, I would probably wind up closer to that end of the spectrum. And so I'm glad, I'm glad we're doing this because one of the things that I need is I need, uh, I need people like you. I need writers like Keller. Uh, I need brothers and sisters in my local community to remind me that the world's answers get some things right. They do, but they get stuff wrong. And if we just swallow them wholesale, we'll wind up leaving our faith. Or, or at least we'll, we will not be who we ought to be. And uh, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point. And I, I like the way that some theologians talk about that idea of common grace, um, which I think is reflected in Romans 1 and 2, that that even unbelievers um, are, are capable of looking at the world and seeing, oh, this is the way things should be, or this is the way that things should be. And I think that we have to acknowledge both the the common sin problem that we all have. And so whatever theory a human being comes up with is going to be flawed because they're sinful, but it's also going to have something of a reflection of God's image in it because they're also an image bearer of God. And so there's going to be some good and there's going to be some bad. And I think that's one of the things that Tim Keller always tends to do well is he tends to be a bridge builder and he will find the things in any culture where he says, hey, that's a great idea. That's a great truth. You've discovered a really good thing here, the way Paul does in Athens, and say, hey, we both agree that there's there's another God out there that y'all don't understand. And since, and since there's a God you don't understand, and you don't know, I want to tell you about him. And so he'll find a point of connection and then build from there. And so I think that we can find, in all of these theories of justice, we can find points of agreement and points of disagreement because human beings are sinful and human beings are image bearers of God. So with this one, this libertarian idea of freedom, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of good there to your point, Stephen, that um, that we would look and say, if somebody works hard for something and then someone else comes in and takes what that person worked hard for, if the government comes in and takes it, or if people that feel like they've been oppressed or needy people or whatever just sort of overrun what someone worked for and they take it away from them because they say, well, we can use this better or we need this more, and so we're going to take this away from you and use it ourselves— we would say something inside of us would cry out and say, well, that's not fair. That's not the way things should be. That's not acting in a right way. Um, so I, I think that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good truth there. Any other things that come to your mind as you think about that from a positive perspective um, that we'd say, yes, that's, that, that's touching on some good points about justice? One of the, one of the things that I like, the, the people that I know who identify themselves as libertarians— I actually tend to be some of the most most generous people that I know, uh, simply because they they don't think that other people should be generous for them. Mm. You know, they take that individual responsibility to be generous, and, and so I I appreciate that. I don't know that that's part of the political philosophy of libertarianism, but it, it's just interesting that as as you kind of adopt that worldview, that that I am individually responsible for every aspect of my life, it tends to create people. Who, who take things like that, uh, if they're trying to live correctly, 
uh, it, it tends to create more generous people because they take responsibility. And so I do appreciate that. And that is, that is one of the things that when I, when I speak to friends or family members who identify with that, I, I do, I do, I tend to compliment them where they they have recognized, uh, the, those common graces, they have recognized the way things ought to be, and they have taken individual responsibility to do that. And so I appreciate that. Um, that, that I think is a, a big benefit uh, yeah, of the definitely. world. And, and I, I want to be clear too, and I, I think you would probably agree with this, that this isn't to say that someone can't vote libertarian or, or think in a libertarian way and be a Christian as well. But w- what we're doing, I think what Tim Keller is doing, is is simply taking these secular views of justice and say, if there is no God, assuming there is no God, or without any sort of responsibility to a higher power or to religious thought, um, how should the word world function? And those that take a secular libertarian view are simply those that say, well, everybody ought to be able to pretty much do whatever they want to do and take responsibility for themselves. And so to your point, I think you're exactly right that 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 aspect that we see in biblical justice as well of personal accountability, I think is very prevalent within libertarian thought, even secular libertarian thought, that, that people are accountable and should be held accountable for their own actions and their own behavior. And I think that's, that's definitely a place of overlap between biblical justice and and this secular theory of justice. Absolutely. And I, I so, appreciate you pointing out that we're not talk, telling you who to vote for. <laughs> right, <laughs> That's important. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, as as we as Christians try to navigate and, and even decide, are we going to engage in any sort of political process? Or to what degree are we going to engage in the political process? We have to understand that the structures and the systems that exist are, to one degree or another, secular. Um, and and we don't live in a theocracy. We don't live in, in the kingdom of God, that the United States is not the kingdom of God, or whatever country you live in is not the kingdom of God. And so all of the different economic theories and justice theories have all been shaped to one degree of it or another, by some level of of secular thinking, uh, because they have to govern both religious people and irreligious people. They have to govern both believers and unbelievers, and so they have to function that way. But we function as believers, and so we, as we engage with these theories, we have to be able to both find places of agreement, but also places of critique. And I would say one of the the critiques that is fair uh, to level against libertarian thought or libertarian theory is that we're, we don't have a collective responsibility. Um, and that that area of collective responsibility that we we not only can be generous with each other, but we must be generous with each other. We must help those who are disadvantaged. That is very much a part of biblical justice. Again, we said last week that the Hebrew idea is tzedakah, and that idea is that you have an obligation to help those who cannot help themselves, to help those who are disadvantaged. Um, And it's very difficult to impose that if you accept a purely um, secular, libertarian uh, idea of justice. Yeah, I'm not responsible for anybody but myself. And if my neighbor 
through whatever ever reason, through calamity, through poor choices, finds themselves in a disadvantaged state, that's not my that's not my responsibility. And uh, thankfully, uh, most of the people that I know who would identify as libertarians, uh, and I'm talking about the thought, not the political party, but they would they they kind of adopt this way of thinking. Uh, are still influenced, you know, by the by the two millennia uh, of of Christian thought of Christianity, where we recognize that yeah, I'm not responsible for them, but I really ought to help them. But again, like you're saying, we are looking at the purely secular. Uh, if you were to remove all religious influence, what is the idea? The idea would be that that's not my responsibility. It's too bad for them that that bad thing happened, but because they're hurt. This now makes an even greater opportunity for me as an individual, and I can get more because they're not com- they're not competing with me any longer. And it really, uh, you know, the dog eat dog world kind of mentality is is what you wind up with, where mm-hmm. I'm going to be successful at the expense of other people. And um, or like you said, that's not really a biblical worldview, in that my neighbor's good is my responsibility. And their success is my responsibility, not necessarily worldly success, but they're becoming the kind of human they ought to be. That success, that is my responsibility. And if, I, if I'm if i not helping them be who they ought to be, then I am failing at being the kind of person, the kind of human that I, I should be in Christ. I'm not being like Jesus. And I think that's a really, that's a really powerful critique. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think one of the areas where this applies to American Christians is as it pertains to to the whole idea of race and racism and and the the history that we have of slavery and then Jim Crow and segregation. And now that we're living post post segregation, post slavery, um, and now that we're living where we are, I think a lot of people that adopt this very individualistic thinking and theories about justice, they would they would say, okay, now listen, all of those things were bad. They shouldn't have happened. Those individual people should not have imposed on other people's freedoms the way that they did. But that happened in the past. All of those laws have been changed now. Now everybody has the freedom to become whatever they want to be. And so now I don't have any responsibility to to change that situation or to make anybody else's situation better, the best thing for the descendants of slaves is to just live out their life and do as as well as they can with what they have, and I'm going to do the same, and we're all just going to kind of watch out for our own lives. But again, that doesn't—again, there's a lot of truth to— personal accountability and personal responsibility, but it denies the collective responsibility that we have as an as a nation, yes. as a society, to help to restore and make right what was taken away, what was broken in the past. And if anybody, if anybody, if any neighborhood is in a different situation because of what happened in the past, we have a collective responsibility to help one another in the present. That doesn't mean I caused slavery. It doesn't mean I'm guilty. It doesn't mean that I'm accountable to God for, or accountable to the court, for that matter, for what happened 100 years ago or even 50 years ago. But it does mean that I, I am a part of a collective group that collectively has a responsibility to set right what previous generations broke. 
Yes. And that, that is a, a very significant failure of this way of thinking. Um, I remember when President Obama, in one of his speeches, he, he used the phrase, you didn't build that. And the idea, that the reaction from a lot of people that I knew uh, was, I did build it. I did earn my place where I am. I, I've earned every penny I've ever gotten. And what he was doing in that statement, again, maybe coming from one of the, the worldviews we'll talk about in a moment, but he was recognizing a, a community level truth that we as a nation, we as, as, as culture, as a culture, have a history of, of doing things. And I couldn't run a business without the interstate highway system. I couldn't, I couldn't run a library without all of, or a bookstore without all of the authors who are, who are producing books. And so there is this interconnectivity that exists between all individuals and even society as a, as a whole. And this fails to recognize the, the links together, which you see in the, the letters to the seven churches. Right. Uh, you'll, you'll have John point out failures of the group. And, and while he's pointing out failures of the group, he'll note, like to Sardis, I think, he says, there's still some of you who haven't soiled their garments, but guys, come on. <laughs> and so there's, God recognizes both. Yeah. And the failure, and I'm glad you pointed that out, the failure of the libertarian uh, worldview is that it only recognizes the individual. Yeah. And that's when a big I failure. Think, I think from a libertarian perspective, they would even, it, it would be hard not to think of God as unjust if you don't recognize that God's justice has some element of collective responsibility. Because when you look at times where God punished an entire community or an entire family or an entire nation because of the sins that were going on collectively, then you could say, well, how come God is doing that? Why is God doing these things? Why, when Achan stole from Jericho and and took some of the things that he wasn't supposed to take, and the Israelites attacked Ai, the, a lot of them died because one guy had stolen some things, and the entire the entire nation suffered in their next battle. And then, even when Achan's sin was discovered, the entire family was put to death. And I think it's because as it's purely individualistic people. We tend to forget that we're part of a collective and we have a responsibility to hold each other accountable. We have a responsibility to uh, to help each other, to teach each other, to admonish each other, and even to bear the responsibility or to bear the consequences of sin. When someone sins, um, it, it doesn't mean I'm personally accountable for their sin, but it does mean I have a responsibility to help put right what my brother or sister or or cousin or neighbor broke. And and sometimes we we tend to deny that when we don't look at the world through a biblical lens. Yeah, and that's that that's what should happen in local churches when somebody is caught in a sin. Um, if somebody were guilty of embezzling. Uh, in a local church. Well, the, the church as a whole could say, oh, they shouldn't have done that. They better go make that right. Or the church as a whole can say, we failed this person. Hmm. They needed something and we weren't there to reach out to them. It's it's a failure on our part too. Yes, we didn't actually embezzle anything, but but they needed help. And we either didn't help them with, with their struggle for wealth or whatever, or they needed, perhaps it was to pay. Maybe they were behind on their mortgage. Who knows? But we didn't help them. And so now we as a community have this obligation to not to to go past just recognizing the sin, but to help that person heal, to bring them back to where they ought to be. And there might be a cost to that. 
you know, maybe one the judgment against them will be that they have to repay the money. Let's help them. Let's help them pay that back. So this isn't a burden on them for the rest of their life. And, and that, that does not sit well with individualism. But that I think, like you mentioned, that there is this collective responsibility and we bear that to with one another. And that is how it, a, a community of believers is supposed to operate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The second one in 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 the spectrum. So we're moving further towards the collective side of things and away from the individualist side of things, but we're all four of these are all again, I want to continue to emphasize secular theories of justice, secular ways of looking at justice. And the second one is liberal or fairness. And he summarizes that by saying a just society promotes fairness for all. And Keller's idea here is that we move beyond just individual rights and we we move to, uh, what does he call them, uh, economic rights, uh, things like the right to an education or medical care. And so we move towards what some would would call maybe pejoratively entitlements to say that that our neighbors, our collective neighbors are entitled to certain economic rights, not just rights or freedoms, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of these things, but also uh, some things like um, like roads to drive on, like um, like healthcare, like education. And so they would look at some of these things. And I think that most American Christians that subscribe to a secular theory of justice are probably somewhere in between the the libertarian and the liberal view of things where we would say, well, yeah, I don't think that everybody should have free college education, but I think everybody should have free high school education or uh, elementary education. And so we do kind of tend to think that a just society will provide some things for our neighbors where we're not all living, you know, out in the middle of nowhere and and saying, I'm not part of a community. I'm not part of a neighborhood. I have no responsibility. We all tend to recognize that a just society will provide some things for some people, but but here's that that's kind of the hang up too is deciding who gets what. How do we decide who gets roads to drive on and and what should those roads be like and and where do we get the money to pay for those roads and and who gets these types of privileges for living in this community. Yeah. And uh, are we going to talk about how this lines up with the Bible first? Yeah, yeah. Let's okay. let's talk about how how the the touch points and the overlaps between this and and biblical justice. Yeah, liberal again to maybe emphasize what you're saying is we're not talking about a political party. We're talking about a right. worldview, and uh, the idea of liberalism is fairness. Maybe is a better word is actually a biblical concept. You have uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians who are very wealthy and they have promised a gift to the saints in Jerusalem who are very poor. <laughs> and he writes in this letter, I think it's 2 Corinthians 8, he says, I, you know, I'm not saying that you have to bear their burden forever, but right now you are in a very financially blessed position and they are not. So as a matter of fairness, I mean, he says that word, as a matter of fairness, your abundance should provide for their need. And so this is a biblical concept, and I think he'll even go back to the manna, the bread from heaven. Uh, everyone who gathered uh, had none left over, and everyone who gathered little had no lack. Well, that's fairness. The, the one who gathered a lot shared with the one who gathered little so that everybody had what they needed. And that that absolutely is a biblical concept. That That is 
uh, one of the, the cornerstones of biblical justice is this idea of not leaving somebody behind. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think that that a lot of even our secular justice, or this secular idea of taking care of each other, has been heavily influenced by Christianity. In fact, I think Keller even uses the idea that they've sort of smuggled into this secular theory the idea that people are important and valuable, because without without some sort of religious framework, uh, if you just approach this from a secular point of view— why should I care? Why should I care that that other people don't have and I have? Why why should I care that other people are in need? Now, it's very easy to be libertarian and be secular, but it's hard to be liberal and be secular, to, to think other people need my help and I should help them to some degree. Doesn't mean that I should take care of all of their things or all of their responsibilities, but to some degree, I owe it to my neighbor to help them. Now, why would anybody think that way if they didn't have some sort of a um, a framework that that informed them that other people are valuable? As Christians, we obviously have that. So we can, I think, applaud the fact that even every atheist I know, every agnostic I know, every purely secular person I know tends to be a very generous liberal-minded person that says we ought to help one another, we ought to take care of one another. I, I don't know exactly where they get that principle, but for them, it's simply common sense that that's what I would want done to me, and so I do that for other people, and we we owe it to our neighbors to help them. And so as Christians, we say, yes, amen, we agree with that. We ought to help one another, for sure. Yeah, and I like, I like what you mentioned uh, and what Keller brought up about how this leans upon a biblical framework— uh, one of the the chilling things about reading human history is you you come away with an understanding of how bad it could be. Uh, you just have to go to the 20th century to see the worst conflicts in the history of the world. But you go you go further back and and you see the same thing repeated on smaller scales simply because the capacity for such destruction was not present yet. Yeah. But when people could harm and maim and destroy, they did and. One of the great things about Christianity, uh, and and it gives us, like you were saying, a, a bridge or a touched a place where we can communicate, reach out with others, is that it has so tempered uh, modern culture, in particular in the United States, that we we have these elements of Christianity built into our society, and we don't even realize that they're there. Uh, we are humans are brutal, and Christ is a a tempering influence to the point where, yes, I think you could, you could definitely look at this. And as a believer, you could say, absolutely. We should take care of each other. We should reach down and lift people up. This is right on. Uh, let's, let's move forward to Jesus now and talk about why we should do that. Right. But I think, too, before we go too far in praising this secular theory, I think we, too, have to stop and, and ask, okay, well, where does this fall short? Where does this not overlap with a biblical idea of justice? Um, and, and one of those is what we've already talked about, is that the the further along the spectrum we move towards collectivism and away from individualism, we haven't moved too far down that line, but 
but already we may already begin to be losing some a person some personal accountability and that people are accountable to do the right thing um, and they're accountable to God and so any secular theory that abandons God and our responsibility and accountability to God to do the right thing um, that then then we're already at a point where we as Christians cannot fully adopt this theory of justice because, again, you've already abandoned um, that accountability to God. So I, I think that's part of it. What else might be um, some areas where we would we couldn't embrace this liberal theory of of justice fully? I like I like your point about uh, abandoning the individual responsibility because I've heard people say, "Well, I don't need to help them because this other group will." or the government mm. will, or something like that. Uh, maybe another place where we fall short is that as we live in an increasingly secular culture, this concept will no longer work. It only works with a uh, religious foundation. Yes. A- and even then, it's not a perfect parallel to what you see in the scriptures, but it only works with that religious foundation. Because at the end of the day, you have to convince me that it is the right thing for me to harm my own self-interest to benefit the self-interest of another. And rationally, that makes no sense. Why would I hurt myself to help someone and receive absolutely no benefit from it? And so in the future, uh, I see this becoming much less prevalent because it doesn't have a rational basis. It, it, It heavily borrows from religion. Yeah. And, and also, in what ways do we help each other? And if we don't have that religious framework, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of things now um, by competing competing social groups within the society uh, that are saying it's our not only our uh, our freedom to do X, Y, and Z, but it's our our right for you to pay for X, Y, and Z. And so you owe it to us to take care of us in this area. And we say, well, whoa, whoa, that that doesn't line up with our view of justice because we think that behavior is wrong. We think that lifestyle is wrong. We think that whatever is harmful to you and to society. And so we don't want to pay for it. And maybe we'll lean back on our libertarianism and say, well, you might have the freedom to practice that or exercise that, but we shouldn't be taxed in order to pay for that. I don't mind being taxed to pay for a road so that everyone can drive, but I don't want to be taxed in order for someone to have an abortion, which I, I look at and say, no, you, you shouldn't be having that abortion anyway, but I certainly don't want to to have to pay for that. That That's not your right as a, as a human being, and it's not unjust for us to deny you the money to do that. So without the biblical framework, without a religious framework, work, then what is a right that ought to be provided by the entire community? What responsibility does the community have to help one another in what areas? Well, now, if it's just up to individuals or just the group to decide what really is a right, that, that's getting into a lot of very difficult waters to navigate. Yeah, there's, there's really—I can't think of a way to make that decision. And we're not alone in that. I mean, you can go and you can read the the theorists who talk about these things, people who have PhDs in these topics, and they will say the same thing. Without, without some kind of moral absolute, without some kind of foundation, there is no way to argue 
when the freedoms conflict, and they will, which freedom gets uh, preeminence? Which right. which rules the other? And we, we might say, well, it's just common sense. Hmm. And again, we don't realize we're borrowing that argument from a completely different philosophy. Uh, when you go back through history, it is not common sense that all people should be treated well. It is not common sense that all, all human life is important and has dignity. Um, one of the more chilling things that I've ever read was a Roman uh, merchant writing a letter back to his wife. And in the it's a very casual letter. He's writing and he's talking about a pregnancy that she has. And he says, if it happens to be a boy, let's name him this. And if it is a girl, of course, expose her. And and then he goes off to talk about something else. And it's just yeah. this just this very casual talk of, of murdering a newborn girl. It is not common sense. And so when you start seeing these competing freedoms, who decides? Well, you wind up in very dark places if this is the only framework that you're using. Yeah. And and I think I hope that that those that are listening can already see the the conflict between both the two secular ideas already of of libertarian uh, sense of justice or theory of justice and the liberal uh, theory of justice, but also where scripture would would say, well, yeah, that is unjust. It's unjust to do either of those two things in some ways, but also we can find areas of, of overlap. That brings us to our third one, and our third one is utilitarian or happiness. A just society maximizes the greatest happiness for the greatest number. So where does that um, that idea, and I think that we certainly find a lot of people in today's culture that would land in this in this group. Um, where can we as Christians applaud this? Um, what what areas does this uh, theory of justice have in common with biblical a biblical view? And then we'll talk later about where it disagrees. One of one of the good things about this is that it does recognize the collective. Right. We do have this sense of community, and and we do what's best for the community. Now, when we get into the places where this is a problem, we can talk about why that might be an issue. But that is something that sometimes we lack with purely individual perspective, is my choices affect others besides me. So I need to be aware of how my choices affect others. You know, going back to the to the golden rule that, you know, do to others what you would have them do to you. That's that's kind of the idea here. And I think that we can say, yes, that's a great idea. We should consider. Uh to go back to the Septuagint, <laughs> there's in Tobit 4, it says, the things that you hate, don't do to anybody. Mm. Kind of the opposite of the golden rule. Uh, same point, but a different perspective. And that that is a good thing. Uh, if you are seeking to maximize happiness uh, or utility, then you will not do harmful things. I think that is an idea that we could get behind. Yeah, absolutely. And even the idea that as a part of the community that we that that a just community will do what what is not harmful or what makes for a, a happy community, you know, and, and to to recognize that we're part of this community, we're part of this society, and we owe it to one another uh, to do what is in the best interest of the most number of people. We won't be able to make everybody happy, but we can we can certainly try to make as many people happy or or not hurt or or not make uncomfortable as many people as possible. And yeah, I think that there there's all kinds of overlap there. 
with our biblical view of justice, because again, what tends to be denied by a lot of us, by a lot of American Christians, is collective responsibility, and that justice has to do with how we interact with and what we feel like we owe to our neighbor and and what we what our responsibility towards them really is. Um, a lot of us want to deny that and say, no, I'm only responsible to and for myself. And so the further we move along the spectrum, the more we'll have in common from that aspect. But of course, even with this utilitarian aspect or theory of justice, there's going to be some areas of disagreement. So where would, as people who embrace biblical justice, where would we disagree with this, do you think? The problem is that, uh, well, a legal principle in the law is that you shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Hmm. And so the law of Moses itself recognizes that what most people think is right isn't necessarily right. And with a utilitarian worldview, um, I can't remember who it was. It was one of the chief justices of the Supreme Court. He said, true democracy, which is really kind of what you're talking about here, this utilitarian majority rules. Uh, True democracy is like two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for supper. (laughs) And and that is where you'll wind up. Most people, uh, you know, Jesus talks about the way back to God being a narrow way. And broad is the way to destruction. Most people are not going to choose uh, the right thing. And if then this is the worldview that we're using to determine how to live, then very rarely will it line up with truly the right thing to do as revealed to us in the scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that that's exactly where, in in a lot of ways, where all of these theories of justice, what they have in common is that they lack the the wisdom of God to determine what is right and what is wrong, but they, the more dangerous they become to a large group of people, the more collective they become. So it's one thing for individuals to all decide for themselves what's good and bad, but it's another thing for whole groups of people to be deciding for themselves without the wisdom of God what's good and bad, because that becomes a very dangerous thing. We see that you mentioned Judges earlier. Judges is a book where not only is every individual doing what's right in their own eyes, but they're doing it collectively, where they are as a group hurting one another because they're deciding this is what's in the best interest of our tribe, or this is what's in the best interest of our family, and they're doing horrible things to other people because they feel like it's in the best interest of our group. Um, And this becomes a very dangerous uh, way of, again, essentially it becomes mob rule. After a while, it becomes the idea that, well, we all decided that this is what's in the best interest of everybody, and it becomes becomes very dangerous. Um, And and I, I can see why why? And again, when we when we just look at these secular theories of justice, I can see why Christians who take a very libertarian view of things, um, a very individualistic view of things, when they hear other Christians talking about collective responsibility, they're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Are you embracing one of these theories of justice? And they're like, no, we're embracing a biblical view of justice, which, which sees both individual personal accountability, but also collective responsibility. So seeing where these things overlap, but also where they differ is so incredibly important. 
for the sake of time, we'll go ahead and move to the fourth one. Um, and, and again, this is the furthest down the collective spectrum, and it's the postmodern theory or the power theory, which says a just society subverts the power of dominant groups in favor of the oppressed. So this theory of justice says that the oppressed that there's always an oppressor, there's always an oppressive power regime, and that justice means bringing down the oppressive people and and giving the power to those who have been oppressed so that uh, so that things become just, and that the only way for justice to happen to to happen would be to bring down the oppressive and give the power, take the power from the oppressive and give it to the oppressed. So again, where does this line up with or overlap with biblical justice? The further you get down the spectrum, the more difficult it becomes, yes, I think. Yeah, but uh, sure. you do, at least for me, uh, I, I do think you see this uh, with like in the book of Revelation with the fall of Babylon. It's interesting that Babylon isn't named, whoever that book is about. But it is this oppressive power that is coming in and and kind of steamrolling over the Lord's people, and so there we, there is this understanding then as as a Christian, the cry for freedom, the the need to end oppression. Uh, you have the saints crying out from under the altar in Revelation six. You know how long, O Lord, until you avenge us? And so yeah, there is this very powerful biblical motif throughout the scriptures of God coming to rescue the oppressed, uh, of bringing judgment upon Egypt, Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, all these nations that that become super dominant powers and grind others with their heel, God wounds their head. And so that, I mean, that really is a biblical principle. Uh, and so I, I think we could agree on that level, that oppression is, is a terrible thing. Yeah. And I think, too, where we might agree with this theory is the idea that people who belong to a privileged group, people who belong to a group that are comfortable, have a tendency to not see things as they really are. They tend to not see the injustice that's happening. Uh, again, the, the Bible Project video that you brought up last week um, is a great example of how you can unintentionally be part of a group that is disadvantaging others. In fact, we're all part of systems. We're all part of structures that disadvantage others for our own advantage. I mean, if you look at it on a global scale, you can see how there are certain countries of the world that they exist to make our cheap goods. And we are living off the backs of this this very oppressive type of labor, and we're okay with it because we get a lot of cheap stuff, and we we use it, and we throw it away, and we live these consumeristic lifestyles, not recognizing, actually, somebody's blood, sweat, and tears went into this, and they're living a very miserable life so that you can have all this cheap stuff. And so I think that where this theory is helpful is making us aware of the plight of the oppressed, whereas comfortable people, even people that have scripture as our guide, might be totally unaware. When we look back to uh, the era of slavery or even the era of segregation, there were a lot of Christians who thought they were 
being righteous. They thought they were being just, not even aware of the fact of how oppressive the group they belonged to was being to other groups of people. So where this is helpful is that it makes us aware sometimes of the plight of oppressed people when those of us that are privileged or comfortable, we might not even recognize that. But again, uh, as as much as there might be some things to learn here, there's also some dangers and some things to be aware of as well. What, Where might we we have to push back against this as, as Christians and believers in biblical justice? Uh, violence is one thing that I think of immediately. Yes. Um, I was in college, and so this is years ago, and it was in a, a um, African literature from the Caribbean that was the class. It was actually a really cool class. There was a lot of neat, neat stuff. Uh, it might not sound interesting. Trust me, it was. But one of the, the, the teacher in this class actually brought up, we started, we moved from that little focus area over into the United States and looked at oppression. And one of the questions that she asked during the, the course of the class was, is it right for a group of people to be oppressed? And the answer is no. Is it right for you to help them no longer be that be oppressed? Yes. Is it right for them to use any and all means in order to end oppression? And the answer has to be no. But she believed it was to the point of murdering innocent. And this came up in a college room, classroom discussion to the point of murdering innocent individuals who are a part of the oppressive system in order to end the oppressive system. And this is the inherent danger is it justifies any action as long as that action moves against those who are part of the system. And that's not biblical. That's exactly right. And and I think that where it it this again, because it's a secular theory, if there was no God who would come in and rescue the oppressed, then, you know, I mean, just do whatever you need to do to 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 free yourself. But again, as Christians, we believe that it's God's job to bring vengeance. It's God's job to bring retribution. It's God's job to bring down the oppressed, and that we cannot and must not take matters into our own hands and take up the sword against the oppressive, that in fact, if anything, we are called to love our oppressors. We are called to, and again, I know that's, I know for some that might even be hard for me to say because I'm not part of an oppressed group, but as a Christian, I am, not personally, but collectively, my people as Christians have been oppressed for 2,000 years in one part of the world or another, and it very well may be that I end up suffering at the hands of persecution. And if that's the case, my job is to love them. My job is to feed them when they're hungry, give them drink when they're thirsty, clothe them when they're naked, put a roof over their head, even my oppressors, not to use any means necessary to take back my freedom, to take back my 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 rights or justice for myself. And so I think you're exactly right that we we cannot take that upon ourselves and 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 throw down the oppressive. And I think that's exactly where this theory of justice leads. In fact, it would say that that's the only just thing to do, whereas we believe that that sort of justice belongs to the Lord and that only he can bring down those oppressive regimes in that way. Yeah, and it one of the things that we need is is we actually need each other. I need people to help me see, like Nathan and David, I need people to help me see when I have been part, either actually oppressing someone, actually harming someone, or part of something that brings harm, so that I can make it right. And uh, 
depending on which particular theory you might uh, ascribe to in this postmodern power spectrum, uh, there is no place for that discussion. It's not about helping people get better. It's about replacing them, uh, undoing yes. them. And, and that's not biblical. No, no matter how you're looking at it, the oppressor, like that in James 1, 9, and 10, the low brother should be exalted and the high brother should be humiliated. Right? There should be this meeting in the middle, and this doesn't allow for that. Yeah, and I think there's also this assumption that oppressed people have an inherent—again, we've been using the phrase common sense—that um, they, by their common sense, by the product of their oppression, that they know the right way to establish a just society. And that—it that speaks too highly of human intuition. It speaks too highly of human wisdom that we cannot, even if we've been oppressed—and there is a certain wisdom that comes with suffering, and the Bible affirms that there is wisdom that comes with suffering, but the idea that oppressed people will always establish a just society is an assumption that is not borne out in reality. We see often oppressed people who take over and they actually become the oppressive. In fact, Israel even did that. We see that even with Israel, who become free people who were slaves, and then they become free, and then they enslave one another, and they enslave others, and and they repeat that kind of oppression. And that's what happens. That's what human people do, is they oppress one another when we, when we remove God from this sense of justice and establishing just communities and just societies. When we take God out of the picture, then whether we're talking about people who are part of an oppressed group or an oppressive group, it it doesn't matter. We're all going to oppress one another, and and there's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no generosity, there is no uh, assuming the best about one another. It's this power struggle, and as long as it's this power struggle, someone wins and someone loses, and that's not the gospel, and that's pretty far removed from the gospel itself. Amen. It's not about power. It's about redemption and reconciliation. Yes. Yeah, and I think that that and and that might be a way of tying all of this together is that is that most secular views of justice, most secular theories about justice, um, have no real way of bringing people together, of reconciling, of restoring, and really ultimately, and I think this has to be acknowledged that ultimately only the Lord has the power to bring about true justice, and so I think that. We must, as Christians, we must embrace an already and not yet view of the kingdom. We must say, okay, God has brought about justice in Jesus. He has brought redemption and freedom from my oppressors. And so now I should walk in justice and righteousness in the way I live my life. I should cry out for justice when I see people that are being hurt and oppressed. I should, I should say that's wrong and I should cry out for fairness. But at the same time, I, I also have to patiently endure waiting for the ultimate justice of God. And, and I think that all of these theories of, of justice, whether it's libertarian on one extreme or it's this um, postmodern other extreme, um, they all are u- u- utopian to some degree to say, if we all just live on our own plot of land and do our own thing, then we'll have a wonderful society and everything will be great, or if we give the power to the oppressed, everything will be great, or whatever theory in the middle. 
And and all of that fails to recognize the, the power of sin. And it's only Jesus who can ultimately bring redemption and reconciliation and justice. Yeah, I like the point you made about uh, the oppressor. The oppressed becomes the oppressor. That's human history. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you even see that in our in our own nation's history. These people whose story is they're they're struggling for their freedom. They they want uh, they don't want taxation without representation. They feel like they're being oppressed, so they take to arms. They they write this beautiful document uh, that safeguards the the freedoms of of people, the the rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Meanwhile, they have slaves, <laughs> and so it's yes. it it is this this cyclical nature of oppression, and it will continue indefinitely until the kingdom is no longer not yet. Right? It is here, and that is the beauty of it is is that it is the promise for the end of all injustice, and we fail to bring that about because we are imperfect, but one day the Lord will bring it about, and. That's the side I want to be on. That's who I want to be with. I want to be part of that because my best efforts, right? All these great ideas we've talked about, these are the the top level of human thought regarding justice and none of them work. So we need God. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think this is a great to go back to that idea of evangelism, I think this is a great way to start uh, an evangelistic conversation with anybody that cares about justice, whether that be somebody who takes a libertarian approach that says, hey, a just society is us all doing our own thing, everybody's just accountable for themselves, or somebody who says, no, we got to tear down these oppressive regimes and build up new ones. Wherever they are on that, I think that helping them to see where we can applaud where they're right and where we can agree where they're right, but then also help them to see where they fall short and where they don't even, they don't even live up to their own expectations and then help them to see how Jesus can bring about what they're looking for and longing for and seeking, what, how Jesus can bring that about. I think these could be great evangelistic conversations that we have with our secular neighbors. Yeah. Amen. It's, it's really what everybody wants. That's why these theories are here. We really want justice. But the full picture of justice only comes from God. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for this. This has been really rich and really helpful. I appreciate you, brother. Yes, it's been a blessing. I really hope you enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope you'll subscribe to hear future episodes of the podcast. A big thank you to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family, for helping to make this podcast possible. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. We love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.